Welcome to the Footy Museum and the Footy Museum Podcast. We have a pause between all our neighbors using their leaf blowers to make this podcast. So we have a short one for you this week. I am Justin Witte, co-director of the Footy Museum. And coincidentally, I am joined once again by the other co-director of the Footy Museum, Maria Van Dyken Lee. Maria, we have a quorum. Both co-directors. And once I don't even know if this, this is, is allowed. Full, this, this is, is the full board. We could do anything. We could, but we could also be taken out, and then the powers of the footy museum would just be up for grabs. But I think you need a majority vote. Oh, my gosh. No, you don't need a majority <laughs> vote for to give a contract extension to this guy. Because if you did, the Chicago Fire fans, which is a shrinking fan base because of choices like this, would have voted no. What did they Georg, do to his classes? I call him George, but I think it's Georg Heights, was given a contract extension after... Some of the biggest missignings in the league after making the team, the Chicago Fire, progressively worse year in, year out. Um, and he, along with the, uh, his partner in crime, Sebastian Peltzer, the technical director, were re-signed because you know what? There are no consequences in the Chicago Fire. And this man, Joe Mansueto, our I say R because unbelievably I'm a fan. The billionaire owner of the <laughs> this team. This is what being a fan is. This is what being a fan is. He thought, you know what? It's fine. Everything's just fine. Lowest attendance in the league. It's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. Um, you know, top one of the top paid players, not really playing defense, only having five goals. It's fine. Designated player, youth players, Jairo Torres, no goals in MLS. It's fine. You know, we're just, we got Messi coming back for a game next year. Um this. You know, maybe we'll make, we'll do another for a rebranding. Game. He's coming back for a game. And after they, and after they made, and then he doesn't care. And after they made this uh, very controversial opinion, which has been panned across, they've released, the fire released this video of uh, Megan O'Keefe from the fire interviewing uh, Joe about the decision to keep them. And Joe cared so much about it that he was like, you know what, we're not going to go to a fire facility. I have this lobby outside my office or perhaps at a hotel. Why don't you come and instead of having a fire logo anywhere or me even wearing a fire pin, we're just going to sit in front of this painting. This crooked painting with this crooked table. floor. I think the rug's crooked, not the painting. Well, I think it's probably it's an asymmetrical rug, but then the lines in the painting are all sloping. No, but you know what it is? This, like everything else with the fire, was put together last minute. Anyway... <laughs> We do have the one Miami game to look forward to. And we also have the newest Noche de Or Copa Interamericana, where the top teams who have won the most prestigious trophies in the Americas will face off for a two-game tournament. And, of course, the top trophy of North America is the League's Cup, which also happens to be the only trophy ever won by Lionel Messi's Inter-Miami so we have that to look forward to next year. I say, why stop there? Why not go full Harlem Globetrotters with Miami? Why should they play in MLS at all? Just constant touring, <laughs> taking on other teams, taking on all-stars. Maybe one time they should uh, enter Miami versus all former MLS designated players. Or, I love it. Uh, David Beckham's family versus Inter Miami. I love it. Or Inter Miami um, um, in the NFL. Or Lionel Messi just wandering out on the grass of live golf tournaments. And he'll just juggle soccer balls while everyone does their thing around That's him. That's right. I think, I, think, I think even 
trying to keep them in the league is just a distraction to what the people want. <laughs> what know? is it? What do the people want? The people want a convoluted <laughs> playoff structure that goes from a single game to a three-game tournament and then takes a two-week pause before starting again <laughs> that no one knows what's going on. That's what the people want, Maria. That's what the people <laughs> the want. The people have spoken. <laughs> and that's what they have. Let us be a microphone, <laughs> a loudspeaker for this movement. <laughs> you know what really build momentum for the major league, the top-tier soccer league in the United States, is if we have a very confusing playoff structure that's interrupted by a giant international break. And that's what's happening. But one <laughs> trophy was handed out last week to our favorite Matt Miazga, same Matt Miazga who stormed the, the locker room of officials after his playoff game against... Because you have to go for what you want. That's right. And what he wanted, apparently, was Defender of the Year. And that's what MLS gave him. So congratulations, Matt. You'll have time to enjoy that as you sit out the next playoff game. Maria, what are we looking at here? No, we're looking at... Describe um, it for, for oh, the audience. Oh, okay. Um, imagine a sepia-tone, beautiful, tea-dyed soccer ball. Ooh. Almost bronze. Wow. It feels old. It feels timeless. It feels classic. Yes. Um, and it is adorned with, uh, with botanical Leaves. swoopies. Yes. Swoopies is the technical term. Um, just gorgeous through all the the white spaces. Is it? It's a decorated soccer ball. <laughs> We're looking at a decorated soccer ball that was decorated by someone named Candy Wiley. And Candy Wiley is a well-known artist, um, most commonly known. Sorry, Maria, for his portrait of Barack Obama, the portrait of him in the chair in front of the hedge of leaves, oh. not the other one. And his paintings sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars, and he has a store where he sells multiples, and this is on there. It is, is that embroidered, those leaves on there? Um, I don't know. I don't know what he uses to decorate his balls, but... Well, apparently, um, this, this ball can be yours for $275. It seems like a lot for a soccer ball, but then when you know about the artist and then the fact that mm -hmm. I appreciate he's actually doing something to make things that are somewhat achievable. And hey, that's what you spend on shoes. What people spend on like classic things. Like, like don't people on sneaker game doesn't Greg Berhalter spend like oh, two seventy five yeah. on his shoes? He sneezes at two seventy five yeah. on shoes. But the average person, I don't know. Yeah. Are they spending two well, I don't know. But so would you, what do you think? Would you drop 275 for this? I actually like his basketballs a lot better. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we did a little more research on something we talked about last week. And that is the United Soccer Association, USA. You, uh, uh, Should we talk you, about let's, it? Let's talk about USA. Okay. The very USA beginnings of USA. Um, and maybe the first way, so recap, if we uh, remember to last week, USA was one of two competing soccer leagues that wanted to start in the 60s. And after following um, the first time the World Cup was brought in by satellite to a lot of US viewers, there was a consortium of sports owners and uh, people who said, hey, maybe there's something to the soccer thing. Maybe we should start a league. And 
the USA was one of the leagues and it was in competition, I believe, with the NPSL. They heard that the NPSL, National Professional Soccer League, had secured a TV contract from CBS and they were ready to launch in 1967. Now, USA was not quite ready, but they didn't want to be uh, beaten to the punch. So they pulled together this idea that we're going to have, I think it was like nine, a nine-week season. Is that right? Mm, it was nine weeks. We're going to do a nine-week season uh, with a full league, 12 teams. And instead of bothering about developing teams, we're just going to go hire teams from around there's, the world. There's teams already. There's play. already teams. Why make teams? We got teams. <laughs> we're going to go around the world. And we're going to pay them, hey, come to the U.S. It's not this a bad a idea. Great thing. You could come hang out with celebrities and uh, you'll be treated like rock stars and play in the first ever indoor stadium in Houston, the future the <laughs> this, future of soccer, AstroTurf. This is, this is a pitch for just one team. No. <laughs> well, no, yeah, that's true. We'll talk about that team. But anyway, so these teams uh, came over and they were given new names and uniforms. And I was surprised to learn who some of these mm-hmm. uh, teams were because it's not just random teams you haven't heard of. So you had the Shamrock Rovers, who are now the Boston Rovers. Caligari was now the Chicago Mustangs. Stoke City <laughs> was now the Cleveland Stokers. <laughs> Stokers. Dundee United was Dallas Tornado. That's probably the one of the biggest like flips. Well, they they really taxified it there. Tornado. Tornadoes. And we, as we talked about last week, uh, Glentoran was uh, the Detroit Cougars. Uh, Bangu AC from Brazil was now the Houston Stars, and Wolverhampton Wanderers. This is the biggest one. We'll talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about more of them. Became the Los Angeles Wolves. That was started, that team specifically was started by the same guy who started the LA Lakers, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, the New, yeah, the New York uh, Skyliners were uh, a, a, a uh, team from Argentina, I believe. The San Francisco Golden Gates were Otto Den Haag from the Netherlands. Toronto City was Hiberian, which is crazy. Vancouver Royal Canadians were Sunderland. Sunderland. <laughs> I mean, Sunderland till I die, till I go to Vancouver. Till I go to Vancouver. <laughs> um, and Aberdeen were the Washington Whips. So these were, at the time, these were championship winning teams. Yeah, they like were. Wolverhampton. These teams pre- were in the Premier League or the top division, not. Yeah, they were from all over the world. So they were top division teams. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So they like were the in agreement. I, I said the Premier League, but the Premier League wasn't formed yet. It was the first division. Yeah. And some of them were even from England. So they no. were in another thing. Correct. And they came over. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see their great uh, crests here, which we'll, we'll dive into. But the team with the most info on it was uh, the Los Angeles Wolves. And part of the reason. I think that is, is because, can you see this? Yes. The Wolverhampton Wanderers have really leaned into this history. So this is from... (laughs) Yes. What's that? Go ahead. I'll let you take over because I know you... But I just want to mention that this is actually from the Wolves website, the Wolverhampton Wolves. There's a whole section breaking down their history in being the first soccer team to represent 
Los Angeles mm -hmm. and kind of the role they played in helping kind of plant the seeds yeah. I of believe, US soccer. And of course, I believe they merch. take credit <laughs> for oh, birthing soccer in the United yes. States. They basically do in the documentary. They, they, they're like, this is the most exciting final ever played on U.S. soil. Oh, yeah. The Wolves are responsible for starting soccer in the United States. <laughs> That's not a direct quote, but it's definitely yeah. part of the messaging. The, it's definitely a slanted mm, view. I think they probably yeah. looked at the market and how well LAFC and things are doing. But this this film they have, which is about 45 minutes. It's 30 minutes, which felt long. Exactly. 30 is like a 45 minutes. It's about 45 <laughs> minutes. Um <laughs> Is, I think the thumbnail is still messy. I know. <laughs> He's not in this. Well, they said when well, they said uh, thirty years before MLS, fifty-six years before Messi. <laughs> they do have him in one very. There we go. But I thought this was actually pretty well done. Oh, it was so well um, done. It was just maybe ten minutes too long. And it tells the story of kind of like the 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 uh, glamorous. 60s, you know, you have all the stars in L.A. and you have this really kind of rough and tumble 1960s British club coming and kind of really being awestruck. They're like, I've never, I'd never been out of England, yeah. not even to Wales. <laughs> and according to everything I've seen playing really open, defenseless <laughs> soccer, I think the final they won that year was like six to five. It was. <laughs> Off oh of an gosh. own goal in a sudden death round. Um, yeah, those and the, the guys are like, we're like partying with Hendrix, but we can't drink because the drinking age <laughs> is twenty one. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, they were just like a, a bunch of kids. <laughs> well, what I also found very interesting about this story is that I would say not only is it an interesting one of the many interesting stories of the origins of professional soccer in the U.S. But I was kind of disappointed that the model really hasn't changed. It, it never did, changed. Yeah, no, it feels extremely, extremely, extremely relevant for now. I, even at the end of the award ceremony, um, the, the head of the league was like, we're looking forward to another season of Major League Soccer in the United uh -huh. States. Um, but this idea that you could just instantly build something uh -huh. right like take elements oh they already exist it's just about marketing putting it out there mm -hmm. so now we have that with teams started from scratch bringing over designated players and it's it was more it was kind of disheartening that aspect of it what did you think of of, of the wolves story um yeah i think well i'm like i agree with everything you said I've, it feels like nothing's changed but i also think that um, the audience is fundamentally different in the U.S. And so that that portion of it has changed. Because at one point, the um, journal, the sports journalist who they're interviewing, he describes the feeling towards soccer at the time as like people thought of it as an ethnic sport, yeah. quote unquote. And I don't, people don't see it that That's way anymore. That's true. That's and been a big change. People are like, oh, it's the it's the global sport and the people who are behind are Americans. 
Like we're left out of it instead of it being like this exotic thing, quote unquote, yeah. an ethnic sport that is played. And it wasn't that long ago that that was still the case. I remember, you know, playing in the 90s, if we had, if there was any kid who came over as an exchange student or anything, they were automatically put on the soccer team because there was an <laughs> assumption one. They're like, oh, you must be good and you must know better than us. And it's this is just a... The game of foreigners, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the only teams were these minor league club teams from uh, migrant groups. Yeah, like the audience is here. It's like the people are clamoring for clamoring for it. They're like, we need it. We want it. Yeah. Just do it better than whatever it is you're doing. So it's not so much the introduction. It's like the packaging. Is, it's true. Is the problem. Yeah, and there is there is really that market now. There's a, a lot of desire for mm-hmm. it. And the, the problem is the league is still operating out of the same mindset that this first U.S. <laughs> league did. That like, oh, somehow we got to pitch it and that the mm-hmm. American audience is different and we have to do... No, they just want better. <laughs> and maybe it's because like, just like when all those uh, U.S. owners go to England and make idiots of themselves because they have no understanding of the game, those are the same type of people running our league. Uh. Joe Mansueto, who we talked about earlier in this pod, about how he's like, I am not going to replace the people who are responsible for total mediocrity because it's just, you know, I like them and we're profitable for whatever reasons. I think there is still a disconnect between ownership and kind of the structure of lease MLS. Um, So, I don't know, there's someone leaf blowing. There's somebody leaf blowing just just, in your garage. (laughs) Like we're not under attack. (laughs) Because we just can't have a cleanly recorded podcast. Anything else you want to say about the Wolves? I recommend people go check out yeah. uh, that website. Just search LA we Wolves. We can link that up. You'll go right there. I was thinking about the Wolves logo and how cool it is on that LA Wolves. It's like a stamp, right? It's, yeah, let me it's pull very, that up again. So. It's right there on the bottom there. Oh, yeah, you saw it there. I think mm-hmm. if I go to... Those on your full. So you can see it. Yeah. I think you can see it better on the um the slide you have. There it is. Yeah. It's just like this very cool USA, very Americana logo, like high school logo. And I was I was like, I wonder what the sixties logo looked like for the wolves. And it's nothing like this. Oh. Because you'd think that since all these teams are like prepackaged, um, a bit they would kind of take some cues from especially the wolves which from what i understand was supposed to be the la something else and Mm. then wasn't the la something else because once the wolves signed on because a bunch of other teams declined then they were like let's just stay the wolves all right so it was we're looking it's closer to that 70s version that (laughs) with the the ww Uh it's like a waste management yeah i was gonna say it's exactly like waste management only ww i guess that's a wolf jumping Uh over it so I wonder if this 79... Was influenced at all. Absolutely was. Absolutely. Maybe. We need to make a documentary about how U.S. soccer was the birth of <laughs> modern Wolves branding. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder, we're looking at just, this is just the crest. I wonder if there were just the wolf head used in different contexts it's possible. with the club. Fascinating. Yeah, but similar theory. I had a similar theory for the next club that I researched. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, real quick, I just want to say I did. 
I did not have time to do my homework this week. You were doing other homework. I was running... Believe it or not, we've put a lot of work in this week to try to improve this broadcast. Maybe it's not all showing this at this moment. But much of my day was spent running cable and getting cable and setting up tech. And, and then, then we have dogs. Every sound. So next is soundproofing. Um, but I did want to highlight of those, my favorite was actually the Golden Gates of uh, San Francisco. I think it's just a lovely, lovely logo. I didn't get a chance to look into them, so we will move on mm-hmm. so to I, the Cleveland. The Cleveland Stokers. Cleveland Stokers. A.K.A. Stoke City. There's some um, similarities. Yeah, so yeah. this is their modern logo. Okay. Right? Yeah. They didn't come up with this design until like the 90s. So this is um, the Cleveland Stokers, a.k.a. Stoke City, um, who at the time were a first division team. The Stokers were owned by the Cleveland Indians baseball franchise for this year until um, they sold it in the next year. Um, And they played at Cleveland Municipal Stadium to crowds of, get this, 6,000. Ooh. Pretty big for a stadium that seats like seventy eight thousand though. Yeah. So um, a little, a little, a little quiet. Um, probably the most notable player is Gordon Banks, who was uh, England's star goalkeeper, and it just had a lot of success at the World Cup in England. So he's kind of a hero. So but he's like, here I come, Cleveland. He's like, here I come, Cleveland. Yeah, Sea Town. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got all these pretty cool posters from that year. Um, which I love this hand-drawn one from Cleveland. And they don't even say Cleveland Stokers. They say Cleveland Stoke City. (laughs) And they don't say Chicago Mustangs. They say Chicago Caligari, parentheses, Italy. (laughs) They don't even use their real names. (laughs) Except for they do in the the, um, poster on the right that Stokers versus Well, maybe that was at the beginning of the season and they wanted people to realize... The quality of these teams, maybe? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But the Stokers were pretty good. Um, They went undefeated for seven matches um, and then were knocked out of their playoff spot by the Vancouver Royals, a.k.a. Sunderland. Sunderland. (laughs) Royals till I die. uh Uh-huh. So they didn't quite make the playoffs, but they were really good. What do you think of that Whips logo? Uh, to me, there's like, that is a, a weird combination with uh, Uncle Sam's top hat with a whip. It's just... Well, it's referring to the position in Congress, right? Yeah, sure. That's the first thing I think of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I see, when I see a leather whip encircling a top hat, the first thing I think of is the history of Congress in the United States. I don't think of some... Chicago esque <laughs> burlesque show. <laughs> That's not what I think of. No, I Nor think of a DC burlesque show. Nor would anybody. <laughs> Clearly, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-mm. The whips. Yeah. Okay. The whips, you mean the party, the whips, and also the, the role in, in Congress. Congress. <laughs> yeah. I Gotta whip the, those votes. The leap forward thing closer. I think they're like. <laughs> We are bad at podcasting. <laughs> but we try. That's okay. We try so hard. Please keep listening. We got a new soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 
Okay, so here's here is the actual logos of the Cleveland oh. Stokers, and this is the logo that Stoke City had in the '60s at the same time. And so the Cleveland Stokers actually really love this logo. It is. I do like it as well. Um, what it is, it's a circular logo um, with inside there's a geometric like striped jer- like long sleeve jersey yeah. inside. And it says just in like kind of varsity letters across the, the top and bottom of the circle, Cleveland Stokers. And it's this wonderfully simple, very nice kind of polished graphic um, logo. And it looks very 60s. It looks very modern. I'd wear this now. I think it's cool. It is cool. Um, and then, but the Stoke City crest, actually at the time they weren't wearing badges on their uniforms. They were just wearing the white and red striped kits. But when they did use a crest, they used this simplified version of the town crest. And it's very old school. It's got like a boar's head. It's got a jug. It's got a camel. It's got some kind of bird and a reaper thing in a a divided shield. I think that was the logo of an all-you-can-eat German restaurant in the town I grew up in. Hmm. What was that called again? Uh, Schmorgesborgia. Schmorgesborg is in German. Schmorgesborgia. Das Schmorgesburg. <laughs> it was called, no, it was called uh, the German Stokers. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I just thought that was, uh, just thinking about these old guys in this documentary and then thinking about their Stoke City counterparts, like just a bunch of kids who were wearing their, like, old-timey, um, old-timey crusty kits, and then they should get shipped off to the Midwest to Rust City. Rust, the Rust Belt. And, um, <laughs> oh, no, you know Cleveland, Rust City. <laughs> Rust City, USA. <laughs> to the Rust Belt. <laughs> and now they're wearing this, like, cool, cool kit. They're they're partying with Hendrix. No, that was the LA no, guys. No, but still, they were <laughs> traveling around. I mean, it, it was. Yeah. They For probably kids who had, probably hadn't been out of England that much. Yeah, and again, it looks like this design influenced the direction mm-hmm. that Stoke City would take. That's yeah, crazy. and not until like decades later. Um, let's see, oh yeah, I have it there again. So yeah, this is this one compared mm-hmm. to the modern one, and it just it does feel really familiar. It's almost I never, I don't think this was the idea, but now I can't not see. You know how the in the Stoke City <clears throat> crest, it says Stoke, and then City slightly underneath it, and then there's a red, white, red, white, red stripes. And that city that's below Stoke makes the middle red stripe lower. Now I just see it as a shirt collar. Yeah. To match the other. It does. It, yeah, it's like a flip. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think it's really cool. And it's funny. I just made the connection. Stoke City are the potters, so Cleveland were the stokers. You know, it was the turbulent 60s, so they were really jumping into all the, the marijuana references and things, too. Mm-hmm. I think. All right. Well... <laughs> That is this. That's the pod this week. We promise we'll get it right. We got, we'll get, we got the equipment. Now we just got to get rid of the leaf blowers. Winter will oh come and people will go inside and be quiet forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Please follow us on our socials at The Footy Museum. Um, and also make sure to like our YouTube channel and share with your friends. Especially if those friends like amateur soccer podcasts based design. I mean, that's a big market. I'm surprised. It is. Yeah. There's a lot of listenership out there for this. It's basically true crime, idiosyncratic, 
amateur football slash soccer podcast and then gardening. It's like that's kind of the people in the biz call it the uh, triumvirate. Mm. Yeah. It's the golden triangle of podcasting. So if you want to get in on that train, let us know. I'm just going to keep talking. (laughs) Okay. Goodbye, everybody.